Welcome back to the Hollow Sky Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Steven. And Kyle. And happy Monday. We're glad you have all decided to kick it off, kick the week off, kick it off with us, your Hollow Cult leaders. Kyle's going to come in and bang another episode of this Collins Elite shit he's been diving into. So stoked about that. Yeah, it's definitely way weirder. We're finally getting to some of the good shit. And I think it's going to blow a lot of people's minds. Also, I'm curious to see what the cult thinks about it. Hell yeah. Let's go. So if you haven't listened to episode one, you need to go back and do that now before we dive into episode two. But before we do that, we got to get through all the business, take care of all the house cleaning. So check us out at all social medias, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Discord, Reddit. Search up Hollow Sky and you will find us. Come and hang out. Be part of the hollow cult. You know the deal. If you have a paranormal experience you'd like for us to feature on a future show, Kyle's got some info for you. You can call or text the holophone, which is going to be 1618-556-0837. You can also write your story out and shoot it over to the email, which is going to be hollowskypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can you can basically get a hold of us any way you like, and then we'll we'll do your story, Extreme Justice, and get it on to the show. Uh, I do have a couple announcements before we move forward. I, once again, want to reach out to Billy from Texas. Check your email. Get a hold of me, brother. That way we can get your product to you. Also, we had some technical difficulties on the last night shift. And for the gentleman who was our first caller, I haven't reviewed the audio, but at this time I will. But I would like for you to, if you are down for it, to call back in and tell your story again because I want it to be properly done. I think it's a really important update to your story and situation, and I just really want everyone to hear it in its entirety and as good as it can be. So This is our helicopter friend, yes, helicopter pilot buddy. So yes, so please, please do. call in or, or, hell, even text the phone and tell me who you are, and I can text you whenever we're ready for you on the next night shift. We'll work something out where we can definitely get you in because I, I want everybody to hear it properly. For sure. For sure. If you would like to support the show, we have a bunch of different ways to do it. First thing you can do is support Spread the show, word of mouth, on social media. You know the drill. Just keep getting the Hollow Sky name out there. The more ears it falls on, the better. Uh, we have our web store up. You can go over there and check out some of the goodies we've got uh, for sale. We have a Patreon. <clears throat> you can check that out. See if there's any tiers over there that interest you. We've got tons of extra content over there, all kinds of stuff. Uh, we have a Venmo. You can throw some pocket change in for our monster fund if you so choose. And we also have our five-star ratings and reviews. So wherever you listen to uh, us, if they have uh, the ability to take five-star ratings and reviews, please leave them and I will try to find them and I will shout you out. So today's five-star rating and review comes from our friend Habro70s. Habro says, started in and I'm hooked, five stars. Aside from the sometimes excessive cursing, haha, I really am loving this podcast. 
I try out so many and stick with so few. You guys have me hooked. Binge listening. Love the Wednesday night call-in show. Habro, thank you so much for taking the time to leave us a five-star rating and review. We're working on cursing. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting better. We, just, we are significantly better than we used to be. Yeah, it's just like a filler. A lot of people go as and ums. I just throw F-bombs when I'm trying to think. But I'm conscious of it. I'm trying to fix it slowly. Yeah. So, it'll never... I don't think it'll ever permanently go away, but we're be getting better. patient with us. We're getting better. But we do appreciate you taking the time to... Uh, Write us in, leaving us kind words, and we are stoked to have you as part of the Hollow Cult, and we're glad you're enjoying the show. Absolutely. On to our listener experience of the day. This comes to us from our friend Mark up in the lovely town of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. He has submitted this to the new website. All right. And it is titled, UFO Flies Into the Ocean. I dig it. First off, shout out to you boys. Y'all are holding the podcast game down so well. Sending big love from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Story. It was September 7th, 2013. A couple friends and I drove down to Washington for an event. We were staying in a little town called... Uh, Mukultio? Mukultio? I butchered that. Mutantville? Yeah. People are going to slaughter me for it. But yeah. it's just... Just outside of Everett, it was about 6 p.m. We were just getting settled into our room and gazing off the balcony at the ocean view. As the three of us were staring at the horizon, admiring the beauty, we see this bright red light take off from just above water level directly in the sky. We looked at each other and were like, whoa, did you see that? We confirmed we all had seen it. Now about 10 minutes go by, and by then we're distracted watching the news, but still looking out the window every couple of minutes. We all happen to be back at the balcony, looking out again when we see the bright red light go from the sky directly into the water. It was quite far away, but we didn't see any splash or anything. Just this object going faster than anything I've seen fly, going from sky to water, and that's it. It was round in shape, but was very bright red for the, the, it being that time of day. It didn't seem like we lost any track of time. That's all for now. Hope you all have a great day. Happy Halloween. From your northern brother, Mar Mark. Mark, thanks so much for submitting your story. Um, you hear a lot about uh, underwater UAPs. I guess it's not UAP, UWP, under unidentified underwater. USOs. USO, UUO. Unidentified submergible objects. See, Kyle knows. I'm a professional. He knows. I do know. It don't, is. Don't take that away. <laughs> It is interesting having a listener that's actually seen one not only go from the sky but into the into the water essentially. How crazy would that be? To like act the the legitimately witness something flying and then just go into the water. My your first thought would be plane down. Yeah. Or some yeah, shit, I was just you know? getting ready to say that. That's a good point. But it's I don't know, man. We don't know anything about the oceans. They're terrifying. That's what we, we don't know. know anything about space. No less about the oceans, probably. So the fact that they're connected wouldn't shock me all that much. No. O octopi or aliens, 100%. Well, I mean, if they have that advanced a craft, I guess it would be an easy assumption that they could traverse just about any anything. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's weird, man. Because there was even talk 
from somewhere, I don't remember where, but the way they propel themselves with the anti-gravity or whatever the fuck it is, like the way I picture it is if it goes underwater, it essentially, like it's almost like they're not in water, like water. Like repels. Yeah, like it stays away from it. It's really bizarre. Like it has a force field and water doesn't even touch the craft. I dig it. It's pretty, pretty crazy stuff. But that's for way smarter people than us. Yeah. I got nothing. <laughs> I know it wasn't Kyle in the craft because he's not going in the ocean. That's facts. And also not flying. That's facts. He would make a terrible uh, extraterrestrial. Yeah. My wife is trying to convince me to fly. Now that she's flown before. I've flown a couple times. It's not bad. Yeah, that's what I hear. I probably will eventually one day, but... We'll burn that bridge when we get there. Yeah. But I digress. Mark, thanks so much for sharing your encounter. Uh, hope all's well and all is safe up there in uh, Edmonton. And uh, keep us keep us in the mix with the weird, bud. So, that being said, we are rolling on to Collins Elite Part 2. Again, if you haven't listened to Part 1, you're going to want to go check that out as an intro to it. But here we go. Oh, I'm excited. I have been working my ass off with this, trying to get through everything. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple more episodes out of it, depending on what the book holds for us, and then some other research. But I, once again, I want to shout out Nick Redfern, give him 100% credit for all this stuff. Uh, his book, I have it linked in the show notes on Amazon. It's called Final Events. Super interesting book. It's jam-packed full of details. A lot of it I, I kind of graze over because it's just so it's so detail-oriented in some parts that it makes it hard for my brain to compute because there'll be sections where it's like uh, Steve with the the DOD and Kyle with the DIA, and then and like it just has all these acronyms, and just it, it's all over the place where it kind of just confuses my brain a little bit. But he did a spectacular job. So once again, hats off to Nick Redfern. Uh, I, I really appreciate you for all the work you do and and put out there. But with that being said, here we go. Uh, Collins Elite Part 2. It's It only gets weirder from here. So buckle up. I dig it. Oh, man. I'm, I'm so excited about it. Uh, in the last episode, near the end, we went over some leads that the Collins Elite would follow, namely the occult aspect of this phenomenon. Well, in Maine, there was a group of people that began dabbling in Jack Parsons' work, which pointed the Collins Elite to them. Like described in in the earlier episode, when people began to open this door, weird things would start to happen. A UFO and a cult happenings began to surface in Elliott, Maine, which is only an hour from where this group was practicing. So you have this group of people that are basically partaking in Jack Parsons' work, and then not an hour from this location, UFO and occult stuff starts to pop off. It doesn't elaborate on the occult happenings, which I wish it would, because I would like to know what the affiliation is there. But in particular, 
there's a Francis Swan who had contact with ETs using what they call automatic writing. And as Nick phrases in the book here, it says, and I've heard this phrase pop up a lot here recently, this automatic writing. But apparently it's the process in which you would want to reach out and make contact with demonic spirits. Furthermore, just like the Ouija board, this process is considered extremely dangerous because it will give full rights in the spirit realm for things to either attack you, latch on to you. Basically, anything goes at that point once you you partake in this process. Uh, Francis actually lived next to a retired rear admiral, Herbert Knowles. He actually was the one who ended up turning her into the Collins elite because she was letting it be known to the admiral that she was making contact with extraterrestrials, which obviously, you know, through the occult aspect of it and their, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Their interest in this extraterrestrial phenomenon they they're like all right well we got to go and look at this lady and watch her very carefully they seem to believe that it wasn't a coincidence that francis was able to make contact they believed she was allowed to make contact because she lived next to admiral knowles because not only was was his current ranking but in the future from this time cuz he I don't I don't believe he was at this current time but in the future he ended up becoming a board director for NICAP the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon interesting so it would it would seem to suggest that these entities they were either really good at statistics or they they had some type of ability to predict or see the future events start to unfold. Or influence them to unfold. That's a good point, too. Some of the contacts she had were with these entities, Affa and Ponner. Affa, and it's weird because they, the, the structure that they, they operate within is, is very similar to how our military is structured. AFA was the manager of the commander of the ship M4, which came apparently came from the planet Uranus. Ponner was the manager of the commander of the L11 ship, which came from planet Hatton, which I never heard of that one. These two entities claimed that they were here fixing fault lines in the Pacific. I'm not sure if it's related or they were just doing it because, but apparently our atomic weapons may have ruptured some of the fault lines, but they were also tasked with protecting ourselves, i.e. the humans, from ourselves in the regard of atomic weapons. Well, Francis was using this automatic writing to make contact with these dipshits. AFA began making predictions and statements that would validate himself and knowledge of the future. However, he never did show himself because he would say, all right, Francis, well, uh, next Tuesday, the 19th, I'm going to meet you 
at this the, these coordinates. I'm going to prove that my existence is real. He never did end up showing up. And his prediction of the world ending in 1956 obviously never happened because here we are in 2023. Maybe. Now, right. Now, in reference, just a reminder, Duke, the guy that Nick went to meet, he was the retired Collins Elite member. Duke also brings up how Francis lived about 130 miles from Glen Clove or Glen, yeah, Glen Cove and Yarmouth, where apparently a lot of activity had taken place. As quoted in the book, it would have made both Crowley and Parsons proud. And it doesn't it doesn't further elaborate on what occult happenings you know took place that would have made them proud because I would be very interested in in hearing that yeah for sure but with all the things going on it seems that people <laughs> within the military would start to enter trance like states to try and make contact with these beings some were actually successful in calling forward UFOs in the sky a last note about Frances Swan now, with all of her contact and the story that I just explained, it was noted by the Navy that Miss Swan was actually more knowledgeable than her education would have allowed her to be. She was able to answer a specific technical questions that she shouldn't have been able to do at all. So it still begs the question, because there's a little, obviously a little bit of disheartening information in regards to Affa and Pawn because the predictions and his forwardness to present himself never transpired. But the Navy found it at least notable that she was far either far more educated than she ever allowed to be, or something somewhere out there was feeding her information that she should not have had knowledge of. It's it's interesting that some of them actually called UFOs in. Yes. I was watching a documentary on, I can't remember where it was, Netflix, Hulu, whatever. But there is a woman either in New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, somewhere out there. But she gives tours out in the desert and she says she can call in UFOs. And there are people that have went on these tours and you can go and watch them. Like she'll she'll focus her energy and here they come. That's weird. It's but it's it's that CE five phenomenon, yeah. you know. Yeah. Pretty. That would be <coughs> wild. That would be so wild to to see. Um, now, in regards to Mister Duke here, one of his last cases was looking into a Ruth Montgomery. Ruth was a Christian psychic who believed that her mission on earth was to educate everyone on life after death. Ruth also presented the idea of walk-ins, which is where a body in distress or of injury could allow the soul to detach and a new one to take its place. Because of this, the Collins elite wanted to make contact with her to possibly get more insight into what they were dealing with. Like I said in the last episode, the Collins elite were not, afraid to go outside of their means and reach out to respected people, prominent people within select fields like, uh, you know, exorcism and 
uh, ancient religions and stuff like that. Like I said, they seem to reach out to all the brightest minds in, in these esoteric fields. Well, it seems that Duke put too many cards on the table when he was dealing with Ruth because she ends up actually outing the group to a, I want to say, newspaper. And because of this, it drew so much attention that J. Edgar Hoover actually got involved. Damn. Yeah. He, once he found out about this, he started to, I think he wrote a memo and sent it over to the FBI or whatever it was, but he was asking about the legitimacy of this because it piqued his attention that much. Anyways, later Nick Nick ends up being pointed to another member of the Collins elite. This guy was a current serving member. So his first initiation was Mr. Duke, who was retired Collins elite, which, I mean, come on. Is he really that retired? He's It's probably like the CIA, where you're never actually done. Uh, but Nick was able to sit down with this, this new man, who went by the name of Robert Manners. He he met this guy in 2007 outside the Johnson Space Center. Nick Nick mentions that the guy barely looked 50. So in my in, in my opinion that would almost inevitably suggest that the Collins elite still operate to this day. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? Like, that was 2007. That's not that long no, ago. No, they're not just going to go away. So I, I thought that was awesome bit of information there and very interesting. The fact that, you know, this and this is a younger, probably not much older than us. You know, you know but he says barely 50, so he's probably in his mid, mid-40s or so, oh, late yeah. 40s. And he's neck deep in all this stuff. How does that even happen? I don't know, man. But it would be awesome to talk to one of these guys. Uh, in his conversation with Manners, he started off things with the infamous Betty and Barney Hill abduction. Stating that this case is why the Collins elite began to look into UFO encounters and slash the abduction phenomenon. Which only... It legitimately only makes sense because the Betty and Barney Hill case is special in in the fact that it's it's legitimately one of the first recorded abduction cases. Um. Anyways, the Collins elite looked into cases that involved a certain list of things, which. It reminds me of, like, the, the the structure of it reminds me a lot of Dave Politis. Like, how he has... Oh, the speci- bo- boxes he's got to yes. tick. Yeah. Um, the, these, these ones here are vehicle interference. Ones, like, abduction uh, involvement cases with women, namely young women. Also ones that would occur late at night or in the early morning hours, which over the course of time, I feel like a lot of the abduction cases are in the nighttime. So that leaves a pretty wide selection. 
Okay. But I think what narrows it down is the is the young women. I wonder why it has to do with vehicles. I don't know, but there are a lot of reports where it messes with people's vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them. I wonder what the significance is. Why they target people in vehicles. I don't know. Maybe controllability. Because they have the power to... And, and and the isolation you, aspect that's exactly of it. exactly what I was going to say. A lot of times, the, the furthest you are from other people is when you're in your car. Yeah. Driving, driving on back roads, driving, cruising, you know. And you hear a lot of those stories. I go over a couple in, in these episodes of people on isolated back roads that have horrifying encounters. Yeah, because cause someone pointed that out not too long ago. Maybe it's on Reddit uh, about how many alien abduction stories take place in vehicles. What what the significance is? It's gotta be it's gotta be it. Yeah, because you're already in essentially you're already in a controlled environment. You're within the confines of your vehicle, yeah. and then you this this rolling prison, so to speak, is isolated in itself. Yeah, you know when you're you're down. People aren't getting abducted off the damn freeway in a, in a traffic jam. Right. Exactly. Know? It's interesting because uh, if you think about it, if you're not getting abducted out of your bedroom people you, you people are being abducted out of their cars exactly that, that was my thought is but the bedroom because I, I was going to throw the bedroom out there but then you have to acknowledge the fact that not always obviously but a lot more houses are next to other houses yeah. like there there's a lot more pos- plausibility for someone to see what was going on yeah. the next the next case that we walk through makes my skin crawl a little bit because we've talked about this in the past about how when you're connected to something or when you're truly looking for something, the, the universe has this weird way to give you answers or at the very least allow you to see synchronicities and what have you. And I, I say this because the timing of it. So August 30th, 1962, there was an Ann Henson and she had a UFO encounter when she was 16. She was asleep in her bedroom when all of a sudden, seemingly unexplainably, she wakes up. She peers out the window in her room and seeing what was described as a round ball of light. It seemed to change colors from red to green, to yellow. She also reported a circle with rays of light coming from it. Anne states, at first, like I would assume most people do, (coughs) you would think that it was a star. However, this was moving. So then she assumed it may have been a helicopter, another viable option. But even that didn't make much sense because this thing was moving left to right and backwards in this in this rapid fashion that wouldn't match that of a helicopter. Night after night, this thing would come back in the same place every single time. So she states in the book, which is very curious, but she states that she begins to become friendly with it. How that's interpreted, I do not know. But it's a very weird phrase to put out there. Yeah. 
and she she's like it it didn't another weird one she said that she was friendly with it because it didn't threaten her once again i don't know what the fuck that means it it it's a very weird choice of words it would come close to her to the farm she was living on but not too close so it didn't approach close enough to make her uncomfortable it stayed just far enough away where she was like okay with it um that is that is weird isn't it It, it's just a weird it's a weird mind place to be in at that at that point like they're developing some level of trust with her yeah it's really bizarre creepy it is very creepy but at one point she ends up getting some graph paper and a compass out and she begins to track its movements and where it's coming from etc etc I'm not 100% sure. I'm sure it explains it in the book. but And I can't remember if she ends up turning it in or her mother turns it in or whatever the case may be. Hey, Hollow Colt. The weather's getting nice, and you know what that means. It's cryptid hunting season. And the first rule to cryptid hunting is good footwear. That's why we're excited to announce our partnership with Tecovis Boots. When you're out hunting the dogman or stalking Chupacabra, you don't have time to break in boots. That's why Tecovis is so nice. They have first wear comfort. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with their styles when you're out hunting cryptids. And let me tell you, their styles are on point. I've always considered getting me a pair of snakeskin boots, and their pair is mint. They also have crocodile boots, caiman boots, ostrich boots, regular leather boots. They they have it all, and it's it's ridiculously awesome. You can even stop by their the local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. So just imagine yourself getting a pair of legitimate snakeskin Hollow Sky branded boots. How awesome would that be? Nothing is going to intimidate a dog man like a nice pair of gator skin boots. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. But the Air Force was contacted about the encounter. One evening, a man arrived. He pulled up in a old black car, wearing a black suit, a black tie. Hmm. Seemed to be in his 30s and claimed to be with the Air Force. You mean like a man in black? Weird, right? So this man, he he came on three different nights. And he was trying to see what Anne was seeing. The first two nights he was unable to see anything because of weather conditions. I believe the the sky was far too cloudy for anyone to see anything. But on the third night, he actually saw the object. When the object appeared, Anne said the man took photos and overall seemed extremely unimpressed by the encounter. Like he showed no emotion to it at all. When he left, he did take Anne's compass, 
all of her graphs, and he even told her, no one will believe you, so there's no point in talking about this to anyone. Which is straight up men in black shit oh, right yeah. there. Yeah. Furthermore, so... official reports would state it's nothing more than a planet. The Collins elite got a report on what she had seen and noted how it had red and green flames coming from it, which I find odd and interesting Interesting when you think about it because how many times, listeners, Steve, how many times have you been outside and you're looking at stars and you notice a star way the fuck off out there and it seems to flicker and it w- it'll it'll almost seemingly change colors. You can't quite tell. Oh yeah. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. So it it makes you it makes you wonder about that narrative. Cuz remember remember also remember back whenever the two quote unquote planets made themselves known and I ended up texting you about yeah. it and I'm like, "What the fuck is this?" I had so many people message me. Exactly. <laughs> but what if what if those weren't actually planets. You know what I mean? I mean? I'm not saying they're not, but imagine, like, just think about the beauty in that, about how easy it would be to fucking dupe us all just by oh, going, yeah. well, those are planets. Yeah. Silly. Those are planets. Those aliens are demons. Once again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying they weren't <laughs> planets. I'm just saying that throw that idea out there where, it, it could it, it's it's a weather balloon, right? That's what that is. It's a weather. It's an easy way oh, yeah. of just brushing off the subject, because realistically, I can't fucking prove that that's a that's a planet. I can't do that. So you you have to take an expert's word for it, you know. So take that, you you know, with however you wanna you wanna take that. But I I said it makes my skin crawl for a particular reason before I. I went through this because as I sat and wrote this Thursday night, I get a message from Colleen about the weird lights in the sky. Yeah, she sent that to me too. Yes, because she sent it to you originally and then you contacted her to send it to me. And I I just found it very, because it had these weird moves. Like it's just really weird timing, timing. right? Yeah. And so like as soon as I was reading that story, because I not not long before that I had looked at Colleen's video that she sent me and then I'd start reading this story and I'm like, what the fuck? Super weird timing. Super weird timing. Hopefully none of the other stuff transpires for Colleen. Um, but there was another encounter with a young woman driving and she would go on to say, rays of shooting light seemed to envelope her car and then there was this this shock like pain that went through her neck at the same time her headlights would dim she also seemed to be left with this very ill feeling like she felt not like nauseated or sick almost like some kind of concussion weapon or something right definitely some type of like sick and like not yeah yeah like a because you hear that a lot with the uh, what is it the sonic weapon we talked about before uh, oh I can't, the Havana, Havana syndrome, syndrome stuff yeah um but you back up a little bit and you have Betty and Barney Hill 
Well, apparently, Betty and Barney Hill also had a connection to Frances Swan, the woman I talked about earlier in this episode. Mm-hmm. Turns out Betty and Barney would actually have lunch with the admiral that turned Francis in. So it added to the theory of the Collins elite that these people were chosen based on specific parameters. Fucking weird, isn't it? Very interesting. (laughs) Because that is just like with the the me reading the story and, and Colleen. It's a weird synchronicity. It's a weird line of events. Yes. That unfold. I don't know. It just, it's super bizarre, man. Super bizarre. And I love every fucking minute of it. It's funny because I was going to do some research on Betty and Barney. And I actually started. And when you were, uh, we're talking about NICAP. I'm like, man, Betty and Barney were, were, took their story to NICAP. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's the, with the Collins Elite, it, it is this idea that they were allowing all this presence, all this alien agenda around the Admiral, almost forcing him to believe in the actual ET agenda. That way he could further push that out there and bring more light to the story. Uh, Now, from here, I mean, it, it almost has to be done. You're foolish if you if you don't think it. But it seems like everything kind of has ties back to this, but there's ties to MK Ultra, and of course there is. You have this the or the Doctor Sidney Gottlieb. There was a certified fucking nut job. This dude literally, for those of you who don't know who Gottlieb is, he was literally trying to assassinate some of the biggest names in the world in the most extra of ways. <laughs> This guy was trying to make people or trying to take people out with poisoned cigars, poisoned wetsuits, poisoned fountain pens, exploding conch shells, and and poisoning people's handkerchiefs. He had this like poisoning fetish. Can you imagine if you're like uh, a And most of those were on Castro. A massive world leader and you get killed by an exploding conch shell. <laughs> Explain that one to the the masses. It's like, hey, Castro, if you if you put that conch shell up to your ear, I heard you can hear the ocean. And then he does it and, and blows up. And also, minute amounts of explosives. <laughs> it's so it's so good. Like the the guy was a can fucking you, psychopath, can you fucking man. Imagine being on his committee. And he's like, we got we got a meeting right off the rip this morning, seven o'clock. I've got this idea I want to run by you guys. Okay, I think it's a winner. I think it's gonna I think it's gonna get the job done. Hear me out. Explosives in a conch shell. What do people do when they see conch shells? Immediately put them up to their head. Right. Yeah. It's just automatic. It's like it's 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 foolproof. Better than a sniper. I just I just don't realistically see the odds. <laughs> Of someone picking up a conch shell, and, and spe- I, don't, I don't know, man. Unless that was a thing he liked to do, which is always a possibility. But I don't know. Anyways, uh, Gottlieb, he actually 
takes part in this this operation, and I haven't heard of this one before. It's called Operation Often. See, Gottlieb had gotten his hands on some research by a Dr. Donald Cameron, and apparently Gottlieb makes the statement on how Cameron would have been on the verge of a massive breakthrough within the paranormal. So at this point, Operation Often is born, opening up the world of black magic and the fucking weird. They begin trying to work with everyone. It, it, it even gets kind of joked about how they worked more with fortune tellers, palmists, clairvoyants, demonologists, mediums, even members of the Catholic diocese than actual agents of whether it was the CIA or the FBI or whoever they were working for. They worked more with these people than other agents like they were i mean they were fucking doubling down on everything paranormal and of course as one would imagine the collins elite heard about this and decided well maybe we can help each other we can do this whole scratch your back scratch mine type of shit which to me just sounds like making a deal with the devil oh yeah right because up until this point, I I don't know, and that's with the amount of research that I have in me currently, I don't feel like the Collins elite, unless, with, unless we have further ties down the road, but I don't feel like they're necessarily evil. Like they're a very nefarious organization. I feel like Right now, anyways, they're more so looking for answers. Now, it does get rumored in the in the first episode how they started to try to weaponize the information they were getting from these ETs. So maybe we haven't made it to that part yet because we had this prelude with Ray. Yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. like the prelude to the Collins lead and the Collins leads. So up until this point, anyways, in our journey... It doesn't feel like the Collins lead are very nefarious quite yet. But from here, personnel within Operation Often and the Collins elite meet up one afternoon to discuss this painter. His name was a Paul Garrett. This man was involved in a near-fatal car accident. On the way to the hospital, he passed away for a little while. Paul was actually revived by paramedics and recovered from the accident. But in the minutes that this man passed, he had a near-death experience. And I can tell you right now that this near-death experience is probably one of the fucking craziest ones I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) And obviously, it captures the attention of both groups often and the Collins elite. Holy shit. I hope, I hope everybody is ready for this because it is fucked. (laughs) So Paul had visions of UFOs in some type of hell like realm. And this is kind of interesting and crazy at the same time, just to show how far these government groups will go. They, so they heard about Paul and his encounter, right? His or his NDE. So 
I believe it was the members of Operation Often. They contact him, explaining that they were working with U.S. Army psychologists, working to help military personnel with essentially PTSD from the Vietnam War. So as any good person would do, Paul agrees. Well, he's like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll come help in any way that I can if it's going to help these soldiers who put their life on the line for America. You know, the whole, the whole spiel, right? Like I said, it's literally what almost any good person would do. Well, Paul ends up, he, he believes the story that they are working with the U.S. Army psychologists. He agrees to meet up with this group at the University of South Carolina. So Operation Often people essentially get a room at the South Carolina, Carolina University have this whole big fucking spiel. And they put cameras and microphones in the room to record everything that Paul is about to tell them. So, and and, and mind you, this is the same place that Operation Often, same, same fuckers, actually created a class on sorcery at the same university. <laughs> so I love it right there. And then you, you can equate this however you want. I, I just thought of this, but it goes to show you that even back then, these CIA groups, FBI, whomever, these elite groups place, like they had vested interest in influencing people within college, which makes fuck loads of sense. If you want to control the future narrative, there's times and places to do that. So just throwing that out there. <coughs> Anyways, Paul's near-death experience, what all of you are kind of waiting for. So he dies, obviously. Upon his death, he begins to pass through the tunnel of light that we all hear about. It gets reported very often. Well, Paul is going through this tunnel. But all of a sudden, he's ripped away from that light, and he feels like he's falling. Which, after the experience, Paul wondered if, in fact, he was falling into hell itself. But, mind you, I talked to Brother John... And I, I showed him this story as I was writing it because we were kind of conversating. And John, Brother John, makes a good point. He doesn't think it's hell. He thinks it might have been purgatory. So keep that in mind as I go forward here because I do think it's a fair assessment of what ends up transpiring. But Paul said he ended up, after he fell and he landed, he ended up in a flat, light blue Sandy terrain. So imagine, I, I picture a desert of this light blue sand that's damn near just completely flat. Among this just ominous as fuck landscape was a mass of naked human bodies. 
an unimaginable amount of them. They were all screaming in utter agony. So right there, you could understand the imagery of hell. Why he would assume that this is hell. But when Paul looked up to the sky, he saw a purple sky with hundreds of saucer-shaped objects beaming back and forth. Furthermore, they pulsed like they were breathing living entities. These crafts would come would beam back and forth with almost like a a, a business to them like they were just they were on a mission to get shit done, right? When all of a sudden they began to slow down over this mass of people. As they as these objects, these saucers came to a standstill over top of them, a green light began to wash over the entire horde. Small balls of light began to escape from every single person within this mass. All of these little balls of light went up into the crafts. Even more bizarre than all of this, after this moment, because as this is as this is going or prior to this going on, it's this mass screaming horde of people. Like they're they're screaming like they are being fucking tortured. But after these little balls of light beam up to these ships, these saucers, these whatever the fuck they are. The entire landscape was consumed with silence. You could hear a fucking pin drop. There wasn't a noise to be had in this environment. The mass of people then rose to their feet and began to shuffle forward like a horde of zombies. Because they they all ended up heading in the same direction. And off in the distance a massive black hole began to materialize and all assume, assumingly all these people were moving to go inside this, this massive black hole. At this moment, Paul began to feel very strange. And the next thing he realized he was waking up with the doctors above him. So this is the moment they pull him out of this hellscape. Now, you would think and hope for Paul that his nightmare was over, but it wasn't. And I think, I think this part, these parts down here are pretty crucial to the, the Holocaust. And I want a lot of you guys to fucking pay attention to this because we've talked about this before and we have people experiencing these things because Paul, you know, this is his story, but he sees it the way that we've kind of navigated the waters. So keep that in mind. After Paul was released from the hospital, he was able to go home. Now, one night while he was sleeping, he he was awoken, and he describes what he saw at the side of his bed. And he describes it as a large-eyed goblin, which what does that sound like? Sounds like a gray alien. Four nights later... Paul and his family begin to experience poltergeist activity. 
So that takes us back to Stardust Ranch. That takes us back to uh, your family. What was yep. the, the family? Uh, Andrews. The Andrews family, exactly. So right there, boom, boom, more connections. Yep. It gives me goosebumps. Shortly after this, the Poltergeist experience, it would be in the weeks, weeks or days to come, his daughter was watching TV when all of a sudden she went into this trance-like state and began screaming in an unknown language. Then all of, as soon as it as soon as it happens, it quits and she falls into a brief but deep sleep. So she, I would assume it was short, but she was she couldn't be woken up. Very similar to the Andrews, right? <clears throat> From here, Paul would confess to the Collins elite that he believes the only reason he was seeing and experiencing these things was because as he died and witnessed all of the horrors that he did, it was all something that he wasn't supposed to see nor escape from. I feel like he was supposed to be added to that horde. (coughs) He believes that these things were able to follow him back from here. He's also under the impression that these things can only do so much on our plane of existence. However, if they are invited here, then the rules change. Right? It's it's pretty interesting. Man, I've heard I've heard so much similar stuff, but I can't remember where the hell I heard it from. And it's driving me crazy. So to back Paul's story, there's a Colonel Edward Streber of the United States Air Force who's the uncle uncle of Whitney Streber or Whitley Streber. And he let out that in the 1940s, the Air Force had this secret study. In its conclusion, it was that these beings from other worlds could interact with us, but their ability to do so was dependent on believing in them. Which is fucking crazy. Interesting. So there's the cliffhanger Interesting. for the episode. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, a couple hypotheses here of different uh, things that I've heard prior to this. Uh, the whole purgatory scenario. I have heard theories that whatever these entities are feed on our fear, our trauma, and our souls are confined to the earth and essentially recycled in reincarnation. So we are continuously put here and we continuously live more and more lives that we can't remember. And all of the fear and all the trauma that we go through is essentially some sort of power source, some sort of life source for whatever these entities are, which kind of feels like (laughs) what was happening as you were watching the, the, the lights get sucked into these crafts. And then the people walk into the black hole, like they're getting ready to just restart. They were zombified anyway. They're not remembering it. They're walking keep, into keep this. Keep that, place. keep that mind. Keep going. I've heard this before, but I can't keep remember going. where. Well, it's it's cool because now I get to experience 
like from from the opposite aspect because I do this a lot with you where I'll I'll hammer and you're like keep keep going like that's the thought because and for everybody listening it's gonna suck because it's next week for them whereas for you <laughs> it's literally the next episode where we get into a lot of that <laughs> but uh I also to to keep rolling on that yeah, yeah, I yeah. also heard hypothesis where these beings are on a different dimensional plane than ours and they can only the the catch to that is the catch 22 is they can only affect us in ways that are on our dimensional plane gotcha that makes sense they can't interfere with us on like from the the fifth dimension right because yeah, they, can, they can't, they can't use fifth dimension juju exactly on a three on dimensional <clears throat> plane. Exactly. That makes that makes sense, even though I don't understand what fifth dimensional juju would be. Yeah, and I mean, because because essentially we don't understand it. We and it almost leads credence to believing. Isn't that kind of fucked up to think oh. about? Like, if I had, let's just say I have a bow and arrow, like in, in, figuratively speaking. If you don't understand that, you can't even comprehend what a bow and arrow is, then therefore I cannot shoot you with that bow and arrow. Like that is yeah, that is like, a really fucked up way to, to it's it's terrible to even process. Yeah, like like a one dimensional being would just be a a plot on a on a line, essentially, just just almost almost non existent, just barely existing. Right. So it's <laughs> so like <laughs> Like it's it's one of them like it's a simple concept, but at the same time, it's explosive. Like it just melts your brain because it's like you understand it, but there you actually don't kind of understand yeah. it. And like like two dimensional, I think the line becomes a plane. You connect them, so things can exist just on that plane. So if we were to put a sphere on that plane, like a baseball, it would only exist to them. As just a the, just the circle, like the contact point. Yes. Don't, okay, it gotcha, would just gotcha, be a, gotcha. A flat circle. So so <laughs> they can only interact with us in ways that we can comprehend. Oh, that's so weird. It's fucked up. It's so weird, man. Like it, it's it. Like I said, it's easy enough to to see it in your brain, but it's still so complex in itself that I don't know. It's weird, man. It's weird. I just I don't. But I love, I love, I love when we get into these stories and they make these subtle connections to all the different cases that we've worked so far in our research. Um, I don't know. It just, it, it, it's just, it leads you, like, even for me, it leads me to the point where I, I honestly can sit here and say everything's connected. It's- in its own roundabout way. It's all connected. And I hate that I cannot remember where those ideas came from, but I know that I heard them. I don't know if I heard them in a documentary and doing research or what, whatever it is, but it's, it's weird. I love it, man. It's fucking weird. I love this shit. The next episode goes even, goes just as hard. <clears throat> Hell yeah. Like I'm just, I'm ready for all the weird shit. Uh, like I said, shout out to Nick and all of his hard work. Uh, it, it, dude, you fucking killed it with this book. Like, it, it's so good. The especially once you start digging through, you get into the meat of the story. 
it's it's super fascinating and I, i'm i'm so excited to hear what the the cult has to say about it because i just i just really think there's gonna be a lot of good conversation that stems from this oh yeah and oh, yeah. i'm sure like even just running through this you and me miss shit I don't know. I'm just ready for I'm just ready for what everybody has to say about it because it it's There's so one many of them, different routes you can take. I know, <laughs> I know. And it just it keeps evolving as the story progresses as well. So we're only working with because I'm I'm you and me are virtually in the same boat as well. Like that's kind of the beauty of the way we do things is that even more so for like when I'm I'm writing this and I'm doing a book, I'm doing it segment by segment, just I'm I'm just as far as in as you i'm just as far you're you we're just as far as everyone listening that's that we're working with the information that we have i'm it's not like i'm holding all these fucking cards i, I obviously i am for the next episode but that's as far as i've gotten so far yeah, you're learning as we're learning exactly and it so we're all we're all on this like level playing field and i, I really i really do like that <laughs> it's it's i don't know man. it gets it gets my brain rolling it's awesome but you're gonna have to tune in next week to get on to part three again if you're here you should have already listened to part one if you haven't go back check it out so until next monday hope you all have a great weekend week weekend the whole nine hang out with us wednesday night 8 p.m central on youtube for the night shift call in with some weird shit uh, check us out on all our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Discord, TikTok, Reddit, the whole nine, search Apollo Sky, come be part of the Holocult. And again, tune in next week for part three on the Collins Elite. Till we meet again, stay safe, stay weird, and just try to ignore all the higher dimensional beings that are trying to fuck with us.